Well, a very warm welcome to you. We are glad you're joining us for a reason for hope today. A reason for hope is a live broadcast dedicated and guided by your questions on God's Word, the Bible. That's right. Your questions guide this next hour. We are live and ready to receive your questions. Uh, really, any question, any honest question of the heart, as long as you know we're going to uh, endeavor to find the answer in the Bible. That's what the show is all about. And so we're very glad that you're joining us once again today. My name is Dave Robson. I'll be hosting and fielding those questions as they come in on our various live platforms. And with me in the studio is Pastor Sean Richards. How are you doing? We missed you yesterday. There was some Japanese character instead, but we're glad you're back. <laughs> yes, uh, the first day of No Shave November has begun. And as well, I have personally borne witness to a German shepherd wearing a sombrero. So life is good. Wow. Lucky you. Yeah, I had a comment that you looked better with the shaven face, more baby face or something of that nature. So good reports all around. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm here to report that I will not be taking part in No Shave November. No. So, no. No. no you, this is what you see is what you get. Oh, well, there you go. This also, when, I, when I grow a beard, it, com it comes in uh, awfully gray and scraggly. I look like a, a roadie for the Grateful Dead. So I, oh, really? wow. for, for career uh, reasons, I'd like to avoid that. <laughs> I want to see that at least one time. <laughs> Maybe. No. No. Okay. We can, we can walk it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> also with me, as you can tell, Pastor Scott Richards is with us. How are you doing today? Any any car accidents on the way to uh, the studio today? No, but I uh, wanted to share something that was really uh, exciting. Uh, we've been talking about um, sharing our faith and uh, at Calvary Christian Fellowship, we've been going through the book of Acts and what made the early church so powerful. And, uh, you know, in Acts chapter two, uh, we see that one of the things that really impacted people was the church getting caught in the act of being itself. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Chuck Smith has a famous line that healthy sheep reproduce. And the early church continuing the apostles' doctrine and breaking bread, prayers, uh, and, and so on, fellowship with one another, koinonia. Uh, you know, the, the last line in Acts chapter 2, in verse 47, is so key. It says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who should be saved. Mm. You know, I think one of the reasons that uh, we shy away from personal evangelism is because sometimes we consider it like a chore or something really mm. stressful or, or, you know, how do we raise the subject or what do I say? And then one of the things that we've been sharing here on the program and uh, with the body here at Calvary Christian Fellowship is that one of the, the most wonderful ways that God can open the doors for us to be able to share our faith effectively is to simply have an ear open for something that's very, very common in, in our culture uh, today, and that is people complaining, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people talking about what's wrong with uh, their not just a nation, but oftentimes how dissatisfied they are with life or some personal crisis that they're going through. And really, that is such a, a powerful open door for us, I believe, as believers, if we simply, before we hit the streets and, and so on, uh, simply pray that the Lord would give us a person or two to pray for uh, during the day and have that mindset. Uh, when someone raises negative things in their life, just saying something as, as simple as this, well, can I pray for you about that? Uh, you know, Pam and I have discovered that We've never had anybody turn us down when we've said that. And, uh, you know, the, the fruit of this is, is really exciting. Uh, you know, as uh, you all are both uh, familiar after a uh, long day of uh, ministering, very intense, uh, our Sunday uh, morning uh, 
responsibilities can sometimes be. You know, we get done at the end of the day. Sometimes I will uh, afterwards I'll do some visitation, then head on home. And by the time I head on home, uh, I'm sort of on autopilot. I'm like thinking, okay, the day's over. I'm just going to relax and unwind. Sean and his uh, roommate Lyle will sometimes come over and we'll watch Columbo reruns and have a nice meal. And I was kind of in that mindset. When I came home and my wife, Pam, uh, was, uh, was sitting down with a, a friend of hers uh, who she had known for a while. She had done personal training for this woman and her husband. Her husband had passed away uh, well, roughly around a year or so ago. And uh, they were involved with a really intense conversation. I greeted them, said, hey, but didn't want to interrupt. So I was over in the other room. But I heard the conversation and, and uh, she said something that was really remarkable. She said, you know, the hardest thing for me right now is knowing I will never see my husband again. Mm. And um, ever. And bless her heart, my wife, really sensitive to the Holy Spirit, uh, said, well, you know, your husband was a born-again Christian. And because of that, um, we know where he is right now. Uh, you know, we know that those who put their faith in Jesus are in heaven. They're conscious. They're, they're aware. Uh, they're enjoying the presence of God. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to see your husband again, you certainly could uh, if you put your faith in Jesus. And she says, well, I just don't really feel like I've ever really done that. And I don't really understand what that's all about. So Pam hollers at me and says, well, Scott, come on in here. And, and, and uh, you know, we sat down on the couch and I just had the opportunity to very simply share, you know, the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And, you know, it, it was so exciting to me to see how uh, this woman responded to that. And, and, and uh, you know, after talking about the fact that we aren't, don't, aren't Christians by joining a church or going through rituals or, or performing meritorious deeds, but simply by putting our faith and trust in Jesus, it, it, was, it was so exciting. You know, at the, at the end, I just said, you know, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? And she said, yeah, yeah, I really would. And, and I mean, she had tears in her eyes and, you know, Pam and I had the chance to, to pray with her and, uh, it was just such a, a beautiful thing. And, and the funniest thing about it was, was this, you know, Pam just being perceptive of this person saying, you know, I'm so bummed out because I'll never see my husband again, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and, and saying, no, wait a minute, you can, you can have eternal life. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that, that's really huge. And I kind of wonder if we are in that, boy, I'm going to look for somebody to pray for mindset, you know, and it's going to give us a greater ear to hear what problems people are really struggling with these days and showing them compassion. But the other remarkable thing is this, there are so many people out there who have never, ever had anyone pray for them, mm -hmm. ever. And it's just such a new experience. And if we just model our living relationship with God by simply talking to him, not preaching or using King James English or things like this, but just talking to the Lord about them and, and asking the Lord to show compassion on them and, and love and, and to, to intervene in the struggles they're having. Boy, oh boy, I'll tell you, that opens up hearts like you wouldn't believe. Mm. So can I highly encourage you out there in our Reason for Hope listening audience, um, start praying along that line and see what God does. It's not something you got to force. It's not something that you got to make happen. This isn't some new program we're putting together. 
but it really does seem to be a move of God's spirit that that we've experienced. And and, and it's so uh, wonderful just to see that when you just walk with the Lord and continue, among other things, in prayers, uh, the Lord adds to the church daily those who should be saved. You know, we didn't have to have a big uh, uh, outreach program put together to reach people like this. People are really hungry, a lot hungrier spiritually than we'd even imagine. Don't let the major media and uh, and the, the 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 way people tend to be in these these days uh, convince you that people aren't spiritually hungry. They're maybe more hungry than any time I've seen since. Uh, Boy, the uh, crazy days of the early 70s when I got saved. So uh, good stuff's going on out there. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Very encouraging. I hope that encourages you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, well, I'll, I'll let you know the ways that you can join us. Obviously, if you're hearing us and seeing us, then you've already found a way, but you might want to jump to different platforms. If you're listening on Reach uh, Radio, welcome. You are listening to our last show, pre-recorded. So consider joining us when you're not on your drive time on one of our other platforms, which are live live, live, live as it, as it can get, live and, and in person. Uh, a Reason for Hope is a ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. So you can find us at our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. Follow the Watch Live tab. Also on Facebook, you'll find us on the Calvary Christian Fellowship page there. We have an app as well you can download on your mobile device. Also on Roku and Apple TV, watch us on the big screen. Uh, so remember, Calvary Christian Fellowship, you'll find us on all those platforms on youtube the channel is a reason for hope that's a reason for hope on youtube join us there as well our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com that's questionsforhope all spelled out at gmail.com so even if you are listening to us on the radio a day late and a dollar short you can send us our i don't know what that means but i threw it in you can send us <laughs> I your, say that a lot <laughs> yes <laughs> i must have got it from you i think yeah. Um, you can send us your, your questions through email and we'll endeavor to get to those on our next broadcast. And again, and consider joining us on one of our live platforms. We are, like I say, live, live as it can be, um, and just moving by faith and with the word and endeavoring to answer your questions. So send along your questions on those live uh, platforms in the chat box there. I will personally be monitoring those as they come in and we'll endeavor to get to all those questions as the show goes along. Before we go any further, Sean, I know it's a, I know it's a big ask and a huge favor would you pray for us okay would you be willing <laughs> thank you yeah god thank you for the chance to be in your word we ask you to be in your spirit as well give us all ears to hear your voice and a heart ready to receive it we pray this in jesus name mm -hmm. amen 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 Quick, uh, update on current events yeah big uh, update uh, as you know we are getting in the midst of election season mm -hmm. and uh that election season isn't uh, just something that's happening here uh, it's happening in Israel, and a really remarkable turn of events has taken place. As you know, Israel has had uh, just election after election after election trying to form a government. Uh, you know, it, it has usually come down to a 60-60 split. Uh, the way Israel does their elections is the parliamentarian form of government where if a, a certain uh, coalition of parties can get together and uh, get to the 61-member threshold, there's 120 seats in the Israeli Knesset, you got to get uh, to 61 to have a majority, then you can choose who the new prime minister of Israel is. If you don't get to that threshold, well, then you've got to basically go for another election. And uh, that has really uh, been the case uh, down through time. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who has uh, been uh, the prime minister of Israel 
longer than any other prime minister in Israeli history, uh, off and on, uh, was uh, voted out of office. He was not able to cobble together the necessary uh, 61 seats. Uh, and a caretaker government uh, headed up by Yair Lapid and Benny Gantz uh, has sort of been in the interim in Israel prior to this time. Well, voters went to the polls in Israel yesterday, and uh, in uh, the Jerusalem Post, they are forecasting that, uh, based upon uh, exit polls, that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's majority is going to achieve uh Perhaps a 60, definitely a 61, but uh, perhaps as high as a 64 seat majority in the Knesset. Uh, the more seats that you can have, the better off you are. Uh, as you know, polls can be uh, a fairly dicey thing. Uh, there have been elections in Israel where the polls were flat out wrong, uh, and uh, one prime minister was pretty much. Uh, uh, setting up shop in his uh, new office, and then, nope, wait a minute, you're not it. The other guy is going to come in here. Shimon Perez was an example of that. But in this case, uh, it does appear that uh, there is a pretty solid uh, coalition that will allow Benjamin Netanyahu to again be the prime minister in Israel. Now, that's pretty huge on a number of different levels. Uh, one of the reasons that Benjamin Netanyahu was not able to be in that role prior to this time is uh, because of uh, scandal that has plagued him, his uh, uh, dealings business-wise, personally. Uh, he was, he's been under investigation by the Israeli courts. Mm. Um, you know, a formal charge uh, has not quite been leveled, but it does appear to be in the offing. It does appear that if he becomes prime minister, uh, he will be in a far stronger position to be able to deal with these charges and move them out of the way. Uh, the other thing that we saw in a Netanyahu-led government is that it was uh, Netanyahu that pretty much led the way for not just the uh, unfreezing of relations with Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, but really set the stage for what are called the Abraham Accords. He was the prime minister who was in office uh, when the Abraham Accords were put into place. Uh, this, uh, the idea of Netanyahu being the prime minister again, uh, very uh, strong leader, uh, very articulate, uh, very charismatic leader, uh, would really shift a lot of things in the Middle East, including uh, what's going on with Iran right now uh, and uh, the, the coalition of uh, Sunni Muslim states, including Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states that we would know, against the Shia state, Iran, and some of the other small nations that uh, tend to follow their particular brand uh, of Islam. It would be, uh, I believe, a real step forward as far as Israel's security is concerned, but uh, there's one possible fly in the ointment. Uh, even though the exit polls show that Netanyahu has enough uh, supporters behind him in the Knesset to form a government, uh, there is one Arab party called Balad uh, that is a fairly new Arab party uh, and prior to this time has not had the minimum vote mark to join uh, in the Knesset as a recognized party. Uh, if once the votes are actually tabulated, Balad does meet that threshold, then suddenly the whole equation is scrambled again and you probably come back to that 60-60 split, uh, which would require 
again another election. And the people in Israel are absolutely uh, just bored silly, just exasperated with the idea of election after election after election. And we could understand that. I mean, it's election time here. Uh, you know, I, I watch uh, sports on television to get away from politics and, you know, people uh, bickering with one another and saying awful things about each other, but you can't. Uh, you know, the uh, people running for office are buying ads on TV and I'm just like, oh, brother, and, you know, I'm glad that's why God invented the remote. You can just mute it or change the channel. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but Israel has just gone through this to the nth degree. And uh, it has not been a strengthening of the state. In a sense, it has emboldened, emboldened uh, the enemies of Israel, uh, particularly uh, the uh, uh, Hamas uh, terrorists, uh, as well as Hezbollah. Uh, they, they know that as long as Israel doesn't have a strong and stable government, uh, it's very easy for them to continue terrorist attacks. And the uh, high level of violence that has gone on, even in Israeli-controlled territories, uh, has been an example of this that that has uh, been happening. So, uh, you know, you know, again, we just really need to pray that uh, God's will is going to be done. Uh, the same kind of factors uh, that uh, draw, drove, uh, you know, our uh, elections and are driving our elections right now very, very similar uh, to uh, what's going on. Our good friend uh, Joel Rosenberg uh, and his All Israel uh, News uh, website uh, talked about uh, the stakes being very high in Israel. He writes, Iran is closer and closer to the bomb. Russia is building a dangerous and potentially prophetic alliance with Iran and Turkey. Gas in Israel is now more than $7 a gallon. One in five Israel's, Israelis lead, live in poverty. Uh, housing prices are so high that young people and young married couples can't even get into their first apartment. Mm. Uh, violence in Judea and Samaria is spiking. Uh, and many Israeli Arabs feel left out of society. Uh, you know, he, he uh, quotes an interesting verse. He talks about First Chronicles 12 and verse 32, uh, where it talks about the men of Issachar who allied themselves with King David. Why? Because they were men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And, you know, I really think with our elections coming up, that's what we really need to be praying for, for us as God's people, even here in the United States, to be people who understand the times and know uh, what a godly nation should do and to stand for godly principles to support God-fearing individuals as much as we can as far as candidates are concerned. As we said, we don't endorse candidates. I, full disclosure, I'm a registered uh, political independent. People ask, uh, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I tell them, no, I'm a monarchist. I serve a great king. <laughs> My citizenship's in heaven. But I want to be a good citizen here on earth. And so as far as understanding the times and knowing what, say, the United States should do, can I give you a word of exhortation as you start to consider who you're going to vote for if you're considering sending in an early ballot? Two main issues, I think, that we need to keep first and foremost in our minds as believers in Christ. Number one, where does a candidate stand on the issue of being pro-life? Uh, that to me, if you're a born-again believer in Christ, is a non-negotiable. I do not see how any born-again believer in Christ can support a candidate who supports abortion up to the ninth month. Mm. 
Uh, and uh, this is really the, the platform that uh, one major political party in this country adheres to. I, I don't see how you can in good conscience support that. Secondly, are they uh, ardent and unapologetic supporters, not only of Israel's right to exist, but defend itself? Are they in favor, say, of the crazy Iran nuclear deal uh, that uh, the current administration seems to want to go back to and back to and back to, no matter what kind of extremes Iran goes to? By the way, uh, there are uh, reports now that uh, our State Department is starting to uh, exert pressure uh, upon even uh, the U.S. military in light of the fact that Iran is now offering expertise and even Iranian Republican Guard Corps units to support the Russians' efforts in the Ukraine. So, you know, wanting to support the Iranians in terms of their pursuit of the bomb while being against the Iranians supporting the Russians in Ukraine mm. seems to me to be a pretty schizophrenic uh, situation to find themselves in. Uh, find ourselves in. So, you know, let's just remember, we got to trust in God's sovereignty. He's in control of all these things. I love what Daniel 2.21 says, uh, that God is uh, the one who removes kings and establishes kings. But we need to be praying about that. And you need to take a look at your franchise to vote as not an accident. God has put you and me, if you're listening to this in the United States, uh, in this particular setting and circumstance for a reason. Uh, and he has given us the opportunity to vote for a reason. And one day I believe we will stand before the Lord and the Lord will ask us, uh, were we good stewards? Did we represent him in all things, including in the voting booth? So uh, be praying about that between now and next week. But uh, very interesting developments in Israel. They say that the final results on the Israeli election are going to be finalized uh, by program time tomorrow. So we'll keep you up to date. Wow. So yeah. pray, pray, pray. Pray, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank pray you for sharing for the, that. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, you can follow. I, I forgot to mention, I don't know how I forgot to mention it today. I've been saying it, and you're looking me right in the face, but you can follow Pastor Scott on Twitter. <laughs> right, Sean, you can attest. I've said it every time, right? Yeah, every time, apart from today. You can follow Pastor Scott on Twitter at Scott R4H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. He posts uh, commentary on, on world events and uh, um, highlights from the show and various things like that. What's yeah. a good... Um, snarky snippets. Snarky, snarky snippets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want your snarky snippets, <laughs> you haven't had enough of that, you can find them. What are some... Can I ask you what are some good news? Because there's, there's you know, a lot of news sources that you can go to and some are you know, leaning from one way or the other. What's some news sources you'd recommend for people who want to keep up with these kind of things? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, some of the, the, the best... Uh, you know, and it's kind of a relative term because whenever, you know, we look at news these days, I, I worked in radio and television news at one point, but advocacy journalism has pretty much taken over. And I think you see it in a sense on both sides of, of the coin. Um, you know, I, I would say as far as Israel and events surrounding Israel are concerned, uh, I always check in on Joel Rosenberg's site, all Israel news, uh, com. You, you can, uh, follow along and, and really uh, be brought up to speed there. Uh, you know, the Jerusalem Post, I think, gives you a little more secularized view, a little bit more on the leftist leaning side of things. But but interesting articles they have there, particularly about, say, you know, archaeological developments in Israel, political developments, uh, even what's going on uh, with Iran. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's a number of different places uh, you can go. 
Uh, one of the ones that I, I check in uh, semi-regularly with uh, is the uh, PJ Media uh, website. Uh, you can uh, go to uh, a number of different uh, articles that they have there. And again, you're going to get some political spin there uh, a bit. But as far as, uh, you know, even uh, the, uh, the mainstream media is, uh, is concerned, you know, I, I just think that, um, you know, I'll, I'll just tell a brief story about this. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, if you're more of the conservative bent, you should be watching Fox News. You know, isn't Fox News fair and balanced and so mm. on? You know, I'll never forget watching one of the Fox News pundits on uh, his program uh, going on about, uh, he made the statement that just absolutely blew me away. And it was really an eye opener. He said, well, you know, we all know that the earliest uh, gospel account of the life of Jesus uh, was written at least 200, 300 years after the fact. Right. So I heard that, and, you know, I, I just kind of had this eye-opening experience. Uh, it was like the Lord said to me, um, you know that's wrong, right? You know, I'm sitting there going, how can this guy go on the air and have an entire staff of fact-checkers and make such a demonstrably uh, false, easily provably false statement with such assurance, right? And then it, it, it hit me. If this guy and this network is wrong, so wrong about something that I know something about, mm. why am I trusting them to tell me about things I don't know about? Right. So... Old Russian proverb, uh, trust but verify. Yeah. Ronnie Reagan quoted that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, go to a lot of different websites, a lot of different news sites, uh, and, uh, you know, you can check these things out and, uh, you know, get uh, some information there. But, but remember, you're always going to, these days, you're always going to get some level of spin associated with it. Uh, the, the rule of thumb is advocacy journalism. Are there any uh, uh, news sites that you go to, Sean, to stay up to date on things? Well, as far as relevance to this program in biblical prophecy, the first that I'd recommend is calvaryprophecy.com. Uh, it's hosted by Terry Malone, who is a very good and a very biblically and evangelism-based biblical, right. uh, I guess I'm saying that word too much, but he's a dear brother in the Lord who posts articles that are relevant to biblical prophecy. Of course, don't agree with everything that he says, but it's all on secondary issues. He loves the Lord, and he consistently wants people who hear his podcast and who follow his articles to get saved. He's produced little work pamphlets and as well as a small book called The Tribulation Period Survival Guide. So he definitely has an advanced intent and investment in wanting people to know the gospel, even if they don't listen to him. He harbors no ill will towards those who disagree with him, and I consider him a good source. Obviously, in terms of political news, I'm of the more uh, masochistic sort, where I personally and deliberately put myself in constant exposure to people I disagree with. Uh, Yahoo News usually is the first place that I go to with the working assumption they're lying to me and then finding out if I'm right or wrong. Mm. <laughs> uh, but of course, I have enough to read about as far as uh, biblical history is concerned to keep up with your questions on the program that the events of the current day are more just to inform illustrations rather than dictate my life. I already know how I'm going to live my life in the 
news, if anything else, it's a distraction from that. Right. So um, again, don't be afraid of hearing people you disagree with. I subscribe to atheist channels too sometimes just to give myself a good laugh and remind myself they're not getting better. So the point being <laughs> yeah. made is just that though. Uh, biblical prophecy, calvaryprophecy.com. Always make sure you check out what he claims biblically and note the difference between opinion and doctrine. But the same we'd say is true for this program as well. Yeah, very good. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I hope that helps to resource you as we move along in, in this life. Send us your questions along, whatever platform you're joining us on, Facebook or YouTube or our website, or at uh, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Send us your questions. We're here live to, to navigate those in the word for you. One of the ways you can get us a question is the old-fashioned way on paper. Do you remember this? <gasps> paper and pen? Paper. Do you guys remember? It's paper. <laughs> From Lupe, this was uh, probably dropped in our agape box here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. For those of you that attend here, you can put your question on a card, drop it in there, and it will find its way uh, to us. Uh, this is from Lupe, a question. Why do Jewish people refer to us as Gentiles? Because we are. That's what Good. the word Gentile <laughs> means. Moving on to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the word Gentile means. It's a non-Jewish person in the biblical dichotomy. A Jewish person is a biological descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes that ensued accordingly. A Gentile is literally everyone else. But as we read in the book of Romans, there are those who aren't of Israel, who are of Israel, not because of biology, but because they share the faith of Abraham. We're right. spiritual sons in that regard. Uh, the first century and obviously non-Christian Jewish sort and sentiment is that Gentile is identifying people as sinners, as those outside the covenant. But because of the revelation of the Jewish Messiah, we realize that with the Old Testament to attest to this, that we are made uh, right with God the same way that Abraham was in all of his descendants, not by who we're related to, not by our genealogy or generations, but based on the common shared faith, the trusting of God, accounting to us as righteous. That's in the book of Hebrews and Romans, if you want to look those up. Yeah, um, the the term goyim, which literally means nations, hmm. uh, ethne in uh, Greek, uh, we get our term ethnicity from that. Uh, you know, when you go back to uh, the table of the nations in the book of uh, Genesis, you see uh, that essentially the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, all had offspring uh, from Shem's descendants. We get the term Semitic from that, mm. are uh, the individuals that would eventually lead to one particular tribe of the Semites, and that is uh, Abraham and his family, and from that came Israel. So everyone who isn't part of that particular lineage that God set aside, not because they were brighter, not because they were wealthier, not because they were more powerful than anyone else. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 7 says that God wanted to demonstrate his glory through them. Uh, and because he wanted to show that he loved them, he chose them. Uh, and uh, through them, he would bring Messiah into the world. Uh, that's basically what the message of the Bible is all about. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, if the Bible's God's word, why doesn't it talk about what God was doing with the Swedes or the Aztecs or something like that? Well, uh, God may have been doing things with the Swedes or the Aztecs, but it had nothing to do with his plan for the entire world. So, you know, right. for a subject matter, the Bible's really not a long book. Yeah. It gets right to the point. Yeah. So that came up the other day, huh? Yeah. We had that discussion. It's <laughs> yeah. amazing. It's as you know, small as it is. Yeah. Now, the Bible talks about there's no longer uh, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Is I mean, is that something that's sort of abolished? Is there still a significance to the Jewish people? In Christ Jesus is the conclusion and key detail in that observation. There's neither male nor female, slave nor 
uh, free, Jew nor uh, Greek, all are one in Christ Jesus. Mm. The distinction is being made that there's no favoritism between us and a relationship with God on the basis of social standing, of genetic background, or even of our class system. When it comes to our status before God, this was in follow-up to a controversy that was happening that Paul was addressing in Galatians, that people who were not Jewish were somehow less qualified to benefit from the Jewish Messiah. Mm. But if, on the other hand, were to take that in long strides for application, not definition, but application, that just means that there's obviously nothing keeping us from Jesus if we come from a particular background Mm. or a particular uh, financial setting or anything else. That's what needs to be kept in mind. But as far as the advantage, obviously, the book of uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 1 begins in saying, what advantage then has the Jew? This is after the resurrection, in the time we're living in right now. He says, much in every way, because to them were committed the oracles of God. Mm, but yeah. then goes on to clarify that despite all this, it didn't really do them that much good if they didn't obey it. That was yeah. the whole point of chapter 2. So obviously the Jews have a tremendous honor, a singular honor, of mm. being the one that God has used and will use in the future to fulfill the promises he outlined for us in Daniel. But obviously not yet, right? What still remains for the Jewish people that isn't already available to us here in the church? Well, uh, there is a plan that God has uh, for the Jewish people. In Daniel chapter 9, we are told that God had an agenda for the Jewish people that he was going to fulfill, and that interestingly, this agenda, in a sense, has been put on pause if you will, at the, uh, the uh, time of Jesus. In Daniel chapter 9, uh, there was a remarkable vision that Daniel was given, and he was told that there would be uh, 70 weeks, that is 70 seven-year periods of time, that would be determined for your people and your holy city to do some interesting things, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And then Daniel was the one being spoken to, right? When it says to you, Daniel was in fact a Jew. Yeah. And your holy city that has Rome in mind? No, Jerusalem. Okay, so So, we're being clear here, talking about and to a Jewish audience with the Jewish nation in mind and the Jewish capital as founded by David in the 9th century BC in mind. Yes. Yeah. And and so God still has this plan. Well, what is his plan going to be? Well, right now, uh, because when Jesus entered Jerusalem, riding on the donkey's colt, he presented himself as the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter nine. Uh, He offered himself to the people of Israel as their king. They rejected him. They said, we will not have this man to rule over us. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and said, uh, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's quoting the Psalms there, Messianic Psalm. Uh, And so uh, during this time from the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, God has been doing this this interesting work. It's kind of a parenthesis, if you will, Mm. between his first work with the Jewish people leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And now he's bringing in what we could call this, well, mixed bag for lack of a better term, of Jews and Gentiles that we call the church, vast majority being uh, uh, Gentiles, but more and more Jewish people coming to know the Lord uh, all the time. Our good friend Joel Rosenberg says that as a percentage, uh, more 
Jewish people are coming to faith in Jesus than almost any other ethnic group. So it's a remarkable move of God that's going on there. But we are told in the book of Romans chapter 11 that when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, in other words, when God is done with this parenthesis, this work of gathering this uh, interesting mixed bag where in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, uh, you know, uh, man or woman, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Uh, once he is done with that, then all Israel will be saved. In other words, God will again deal with the world through the nation of Israel. And when you read the book of Revelation, you see how that's going to happen. Sean, how is God going to reach the world through the Jewish people as described in the book of Revelation? Well, full disclosure for those listening, uh, my father and myself and Dave presumably as well hold to a futurist, uh, mainly uh, dispensational view of Scripture and of the end times. So we're going to take Revelation very plainly. We're not preterists in that regard. If you are, you're welcome on the broadcast. Just understand our perspective. Uh, first, uh, given the timeline that we're shown in the book of Revelation, we are concluding the book of Revelation this Wednesday, and we've had a fun time with it. Uh, we believe that during this last seven-year period, what's known as the Tribulation, after Israel fulfills the prophecy made in Zechariah that they will make a covenant with death, and that, of course, that will be double-crossed, as we read in Daniel 9 through 11. The point will be that the uh, two witnesses, the two olive branches that are predicted again in the book of Zechariah and referenced verbatim in Revelation 14, will lead 144,000 of the Jewish people to a saving relationship with their Messiah. Right. And as a result of their conversion, the basically entire world that won't be buying into the Antichrist hook, line, and sinker. They will experience martyrdom by the second half of the tribulation, but more people, according to Revelation 7, will come to saving relationship with Messiah than any other time in history as the result of these Jewish people who are named by tribe, by the way. Um, continuing on with that point, at the second half of the tribulation, you say, so the 144,000 are gone. How does your perspective account for other people being saved if the great tribulation has begun and you will literally either take the mark of the beast or die during that halfway point to the second coming of Christ? We're told, again, in Revelation 14, the 144,000 are in heaven. Guess how they got there? There will be three angels flying around the world preaching the everlasting gospel because while you may be able to shoot down or silence or censor, the 144,000 Jewish people at this point, you can't shoot or shut up an angel. Yeah. They're going to be witnessing now that there are no humans that will be physically capable of sharing the gospel at this time. And of course, God's intended this for the final chance, essentially, these last three and a half years, 1,260 days by Jewish reckoning and calendar. Until the Lord himself comes back, then we will have what's called the thousand-year reign, where Jesus himself will be using us, the resurrected saints, and those who come to a saving relationship with him to be living examples of his heart to their children and their children's children throughout this time period until Revelation 20 comes to a close. The final rebellion is crushed, the final judgment is seated, and the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in. Then the only people who will be in the... Uh, presence of the Lord will be those who asked for it. That's the general timeline we see when Daniel 9, 24 through 26 is fulfilled. Yeah, so uh, God has this all nailed down, and uh, God is preparing, I believe, uh, that, uh, that righteous remnant that he always had with Israel uh, to um, do amazing things in this world 
uh, going forward. So if anyone says, oh, God's done with Israel or they're a bunch of Christ killers, mm-hmm. uh, I, I always wince when I hear that because the Bible is pretty plain. It was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. You want to call right. someone a Christ killer, uh, you know, we sing uh, that, that song, How Great the Love of God for Us. There's that, that haunting line, you know, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Right. That's exactly where we were as well. So uh, just as we were lost and in darkness and the Lord reached out to us with his grace and his love, so he is doing and will do in a way that will absolutely rock the world as far as the Jewish people are concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Lupe, thank you for that, that question. What a beautiful and thorough answer you gave. Hopefully you're tuning in to hear that. If not, when we see you, we'll let you know that we got to that on the show. Um, Albert asks, it's related to what we're talking about. So what happened to people before Jesus died on the cross? Are the Gentiles doomed? What happened to the Aztecs? Are they in heaven or hell? Thank you. Well, well the Aztecs yeah. who uh, ritually sacrificed themselves to pagan gods, I can tell you where they are. But the point being made and the assumption that's falsely made, especially by atheists, is that, oh, yeah, when Jesus died for people, that's uh, now how you can go to heaven. Everyone before that time, well, so much for you. Obviously, like 98% of every atheist claim you hear on the Internet is based on a lack of information. Right. First of all, when it comes to the first... Half a lie is, half the truth is still a lie. And 90% Mm -hmm. of a lie is, in fact, a lie. So when we're talking about this issue of could people get, quote-unquote, saved before Messiah physically showed up on the world scene? Well, it would basically be the same argument in saying, since we didn't live to see Messiah, how do we get saved? We have to, from a historical perspective, looking back at the eyewitnesses, be able to say, I consider their testimony adequate, that it is based on that belief, that acknowledgement of fact, in a present to past tense. I acknowledge that Jesus was who he was and how he proved it. The people in the Old Covenant, then, I have to make this inference, but I have evidence for it, and we'll take this piece by piece, will, of course, follow the same program. The only difference isn't in the type of God who saves or the means by which God would, notice not had, would save them, is perspective. If I have to look back, they would have had to have looked forward. Are there then, and this is what's key, any examples of this kind of relationship with God being acknowledged outside of the Jewish nation in the Old Testament, before Messiah ever came on the world scene. People who weren't a part of the covenant of Abraham, people who weren't a part of the sacrificial system, people who didn't know the Ten Commandments, but still knew and benefited from the promises of God. I've got one. I got one. (laughs) It's in Genesis chapter 14. Uh, We were told that after Abraham, the first one that God made his covenant with, uh, was victorious over a coalition of uh, Canaanite kings, uh, we are told that when he returned from this battle, uh, in uh, Genesis 14 and verse 18, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be the Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he, Abraham, gave him a tithe of all. Now, Salem at this time, it would be Jerusalem in about maybe 500 years or so. But what's the interesting aspect of Melchizedek's character? He was a Jebusite king. He was a full 
full-fledged Gentile, a Canaanite, if well, you will. Well, there's yeah. some people who claim that Melchizedek was an appearance of Jesus, so he wouldn't technically count. What about, say, for example... But there's people... no evidence to suggest that he was. Oh, Oh, well, we're going to get all factual, are we? Well, <laughs> so, let's let's give that the benefit of the doubt and ask, okay, are there other examples, people who are undoubtedly human that weren't Jewish but still benefited from confidence in oh, the Jewish society? Oh, I know another one. Ruth. Oh, a Moabite <laughs> who was married into the covenant. Well, she was practicing. Uh, what about association? We might uh, maybe reference, what was uh, the friend very famously, interestingly enough, of uh, David's soon-to-be wife, Bathsheba. What was her first husband's name? Uriah. He had an interesting background. The Hittite. Not the Jew? No. Oh, and he had he hung around with David and was aware of the fact he was a Jew. Was there any suggestion that he had a positive relationship with the God of Israel? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you read in Second yeah, Samuel, he was... He, he had a much higher character than David did. <laughs> so take that down. Yeah. Uh, we can note in Daniel chapter 4, there was a uh, Jewish, I'm sorry, pagan king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar who extolled and worshipped the God of Israel after his interesting bout with boanthropy and the entire Babylonian... That, by the way, is a mental disease where you think you're a cow. Verified today. Uh, We can also (laughs) note other examples of that where all of the Babylonian empire was told, under pain of having your house burned to the ground, have regard and honor for the God of Israel. They were at least made aware of this God's existence and had access to the Jewish people, who, by the way, weren't stingy with the knowledge of their God, if we can go off of Daniel and his three friends' witness. We can talk about Artaxerxes Longuminus and his regard for the Jewish God when Nehemiah, as his cupbearer, was in service to him and was used in a very interesting way to fulfill the prophecy made in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 25. We can look at other individuals. We could note the Pagans, obviously, they were living during the time of Ezra, who supported the reconstruction of the temple, and interestingly enough, the Samaritans who opposed it. They were not of the Jewish covenant, but they were aware of the Jewish God. We can go even further into the Old Testament and note people like Job, during the time of Abraham, by the way, that he and his three friends had not only a working, but a competent and borderline philosophical understanding of the God of Israel despite the fact that Israel wouldn't even show up for another two generations. And Job was not a Jew. That's what's key. <laughs> yeah, so. so we can go on and on with this, but we have examples of people who somehow had a right relationship with God, despite having no direct contact or at least an indirect association with the people of God that came to a relationship with their God. How? The same way we do. They looked forward to the coming of Messiah. We, well, we remember back. The difference is either, and this is the argument made, Albert, by the people you probably heard this from, that, oh, well, if something hasn't happened yet, that means that it doesn't exist, as if the promises of God are only in existence the moment that they're fulfilled. You trust God and his character the same way that we trust our future resurrection on the basis of what God has done in the past. How would that be any different to the people who were anticipating Messiah? God made a promise in the past. While it was different than Jesus' resurrection, it was tangible enough, say, for example, with the people of Jericho and a woman by the name of uh, Rahab, who knew not only about the God of Israel, but the name of the God of Israel. 
what he had done in Egypt, how he had given them victory over the, uh, the Canaanites. It was uh, Sihon and Og mm-hmm. on the other side of the river. And somehow she was willing to work with this past information, come to a present conclusion and say, will your God spare my family? And they said, put a red cord out your window, we'll not only spare your household, our God will protect you. And interestingly enough, Jericho's ruins, available that you can see today, the only part of the wall that didn't fall, according to Joshua's record, was her family's home. So again, we look back to the promises of God, expecting their fulfillment in the future. That's true even today. Yeah. Why would it be any different in the Old Testament? It's an inference, but an informed one, because we have the sort of people who weren't Jewish and still benefited from the promises of God, right. or recognized as righteous despite either existing before the existence of Israel or having no direct association with the law. And of course, we see that the method of their salvation is in no way different than ours today. The only difference is the variables. Yeah, and and you know the question always gets raised. Okay, great, but what about the people even today who've never heard about Jesus? How is God right. going to deal with them? Well, um, the the Bible doesn't, I believe, leave that to our imagination either. In uh, Acts fourteen and verse seventeen, uh, we are told, nevertheless. God did not leave himself without a witness and that he did good, gave rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. In other words, uh, Paul uh, was making the, uh, the case to these thoroughly paganized individuals in uh, Iconium that uh, the true and living God hasn't been withholding his knowledge, even from people that didn't say have a direct connection or an, an impact from the Jewish people. It even goes beyond all of that. There's a fascinating book, and you know, because we're, uh, our time is not unlimited. There's a fascinating book written by Don Richardson, who's a cultural anthropologist. He was a missionary uh, to the uh, Sawi and Dani tribes in Irian Jaya, which is the uh, east side of the island of New Guinea. Uh, and uh, what Richardson discovered was uh, what he called the Melchizedek factor. You know, here you have this guy, Melchizedek, who literally comes out of nowhere, uh, being a priest of the Most High God. Abraham's so impressed with him, he gives him a tenth of the spoil and allows Abraham to bless him. In the book of Hebrews, uh, we're told that the one who blesses is greater than the one who's blessed. Uh, pretty uh, amazing stuff. Uh, and he calls it the Melchizedek factor in that God isn't limited uh, to say what we as human beings can figure out that he does have a way of getting to his message to people uh, by a a couple of different ways. Uh, Richardson, in his book, Eternity in Their Hearts, details uh, a number of different uh, incidents uh, where unreached people uh, are reached with the gospel because God has put a key to their hearts in their culture and that the goal of the missionary is to discover that key to their hearts that God has already planted there. Mm. Uh, you know, there, there's some amazing stories uh, that uh, Richardson uh, shares with, even pertaining to his own family. But for time's sake, one of the most remarkable was uh, the uh, story of the Korean people who live in uh, modern-day Myanmar, used to be Burma. Uh, and uh, there was a missionary who was working with a Korean for over 20 years, not a single convert, you know, very resistant mm-hmm. to the gospel. He was about ready to give it all up and go to somewhere where he could be more fruitful. But his sister sent him, uh, right before he left, as a birthday present, a a brand new Bible with gold leaf on the outside of it, as we often see. Mm. Well, uh, 
again, this missionary was opening up his package and looking at this Bible when one of the Korean tribesmen came in to ask him a question. And the Korean tribesmen looked shocked, ran outside, came back with the entire village outside of this guy's hut, including the chief. And uh, he's going, what's going on? And, and the chief said, you've got the book. And he said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you need to understand uh, the, the, the background of our people. We didn't always live here. We migrated from a place far to the west of here. And uh, while there was a famine, our, our people left their ancestral land. They got into the mountains. They were starving to death. And so they prayed to the mountain gods for deliverance. Well, the true and living God judged our people and said that his, the knowledge of him would be taken away until someone came to tell them about him with a gold leaf book. Mm. And they said, you've got the book. <laughs> and the missionary didn't know what else to do. He started reading John 3.16. And to a man in this village, they all gave their lives to Jesus. To this day, the Korean people in Myanmar are even persecuted by the secularist communist government in Myanmar because of their dogged commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are missionaries there in that area mm. in Myanmar. So, you know, when we, we, you know, that question, what about the one who never heard? Well, God's got that covered. Mm. You know, he can reach seemingly unreachable people using, you know, avenues that we can't even begin to comprehend. So yeah. um, the, when that question comes up, though, uh, Sean, one of the things that, that I always try to go back to in it all is this, which says, well, what about the person who never heard? What are these people that live in this different time? Right. And so, okay, great, great, great. You do live in a time. <laughs> where you have access to the gospel, you have heard the message. What are you going to do about that? Yeah. And when you personalize that, it can be pretty powerful. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, very good. Albert, thank you for being part of the broadcast and for your, for your question. Um, I have a question for you guys. We have a few minutes left here. I wanted to ask, it might encourage people. For those who maybe listen to the show or hear you teach and are like, man, how do these guys have such a knowledge of the word? How do they have all these scriptures stuck in their head? And I'm just in awe of that. I've heard that so many times from, from people, and I'm probably one of those people as I sit here and listen to you guys. What are some, some ways, where, maybe when was it in your life that you felt you were starting to get a kind of handle on the word, navigating the word, being able to recall scripture? Is there any kind of tips or tricks or ways that well, was it so gifting you know, what, you know what it's a process um you know in colossians you know paul talked about let the word of god dwell in you richly mm. uh you know speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in fact it parallels the statement in ephesians 5 and verse 18 where it says be filled with the spirit speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs so a key to being a truly spirit-filled christian is to let the word of god dwell in you richly um you know for me uh, not having been raised in the church, you know, there are the, the toughest people I've found to reach are the people who've heard it, I've heard it, you know, and mm. it just bounces off their foreheads and, you know, you barely muster a yawn. To me, uh, going from a place where I didn't believe in God at all to having a personal relationship with him and being, uh, coming to the understanding that the Bible is his word, mm. that this is how he communicates to us. I, I remember being given... Uh, you know, one of those little uh, Gideon uh, Bibles with the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And I just started reading it, and, and I couldn't put it down. You know, for the first time, 
I could understand the Bible. I remember trying to read the Bible once before I got saved. Someone told me there were UFOs in Ezekiel, uh, so I wanted to see that. And I tried to read that, and it didn't make any sense to me. So I went back to Genesis, and yep. you know, there's all these begots and begettings, and that didn't make any sense to me. And finally, I just put the book down and said, oh, who can understand it? Well, when I became a Christian, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would come to lead you into all truth. Mm. And so I started reading the Bible, and I started reading it with the expectation that God wanted to speak to me through his word. And if you have that expectation, if you, know, you say, well, Lord, speak to me through this. Show me something in your word that I, I need to know and understand. That can make all the difference in the world. Now, you know, that was in 1973 when I got saved. I basically, with very few exceptions, read the Bible every day since then. Sooner or later, stuff sticks. Yeah. You know, uh, it was helpful to me to go to seminary and get a systematic view of God's word. But, uh, but when you fall in love with the word, you know, it, 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 is, it is like Job said, you know, you begin to treasure it more than your necessary food. Yeah. And when you delight yourself in God's word and you see the promises are true and you see God revealing yourself in it, you know, sooner or later, these things just sort of stick. Anything you'd add to that about your journey in the work? Care, calling, commitment. God will call you. He'll equip you to be able to know and remember what you need when you need it. Commitment, keep at it. And of course, make sure that when you read, you realize you're reading God's word. Right Amen. Great. I love it. Sean, Scott, thank you so much. Thank you for awesome. viewing and being part of the so program. We'll see you next time. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.